0: You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we're talking about toxic work environments, the effects that that can have on us as individuals, the ways that that can interact in the workplace, the sickness that can involve with that. And Katie, that just has all the makings to create a staph infection.
1: <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to do some sort of a joke. I was like, where is he going with this? It sounds so serious. And then staph infection. Wah, wah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Awesome. I think as a community mental health survivor, <laughs> I definitely recognize quote unquote staph infections. Because I think oftentimes therapists are bosses in a lot of places and even in private practices, we're our own bosses. And just like we're not necessarily good business people, we're oftentimes not good bosses.
0: That can have a lot of effects on you. And this, depending on where you're at in your career, this could even be in the school setting that you're in and could be surrounding some of the professors and the classmates that you have. So this is not impervious to anywhere where you're at, but this is something that develops. It can have a great effect on you. It can affect you at work. It can affect your dread at going back to work. And if you find yourself in one of those positions where it's like, all right, in 20 more minutes, I'm only two hours away from having five hours left of my day. Chances are that you're in a toxic work environment.
1: Yeah, and or you're burned out. But oftentimes, toxic work environments lead to burnout. So point taken. Yeah, I think oftentimes, I, I really want to to focus in and, and emphasize the point you just made. This can happen at any stage. It can happen when you're in your practicum. It can happen when you're, you're in a community mental health at any level, I know I was in a toxic work environment and I was a director, so you can have this happen. So, it's your fault. Uh, to it's a, Well, it was, you know, I, I will claim part of it because when you're in a toxic work environment and you have some leadership, oftentimes you can contribute to the toxic work environment because of how the whole thing set up the dynamics. But it's something that can happen at any stage and oftentimes because we quote unquote, grow up in these toxic work environments, we can even take those into managing ourselves in private practice. So we'll, we'll get to that too. But I want to start with talking about when you're in a setting where you're working for someone else, or if you're in that role of managing other people, how you can kind of create a toxic work environment. I think one of the things that often happens is that therapists will try to set up a very nurturing work environment and in doing so, miss some of the pieces that we need to do. Oftentimes, we're fairly soft-hearted, big-hearted, helping professionals, and we want to be responsive. We want to take care of the staff, but in so doing, we don't actually set and fulfill guidelines or protocols and procedures because we don't want to hurt their feelings, or we don't want to push them too hard, or we understand why they're having a hard time with doing what they need to do. And so, we give incomplete guidance to staff. And as a staff member, it can feel good to be taken care of. But then when you're constantly feeling like you've, you're not meeting expectations, and there's consequences that come down, you can feel really incompetent and disempowered.
0: This isn't to say that all people who end up in leadership actually have good intentions, either. There's a number of people who do get promoted into these positions who might just actually have it in for you that they're looking to <laughs> pass the blame onto. to some underling in order to appease their boss or their grant writer or something else. Like, <laughs> if, if we're really going to be realistic about this, not everybody in our field and not everybody in leadership are good people.
1: Well, I, I agree with you, but I don't necessarily think that people start out to find somebody to blame. I do blame that on toxic environments. And I think what happens is if you go in with good intentions or if you move up because you want less work, because oftentimes that's like, oh, I'm so tired of all this client care. Let me start supervising and managing people, and you're just exhausted already. But if the environment is one where it supports blame, everyone ends up participating. You know, the staff blame the managers and the supervisors for not giving enough guidance. The supervisors and managers blame the staff because they're not good workers. The the board or the executive management blame the managers, supervisors, and staff. Like when the when the environment is set up to be so toxic, and there's this blame game that starts, then yeah, people in leadership are looking for scapegoats. Oftentimes, I don't know that they would put it that way. But sometimes they're like, Oh, my gosh, I got to save my job. You know, so there are people in in management that go past this, Oh, I want to take care of my staff to almost dictators. And it's like, you're a therapist. (laughs) Since when is it okay to be a dictator or to, to kind of become abusive to your staff and make them feel incompetent all the time and throw them under the bus at every opportunity. So I choose to believe that it's, it's the environment and not like evil people coming in and doing evil things.
0: Little column A, little column B here. (laughs) I I mean, I think that as good-hearted as as Katie is, to be realistic about it. You know, some of the people are carrying years of burnout, they're carrying some of their personal issues into the workplace, that they can't take that out on clients, knowing that they would lose funding sources or they would Mm -hmm. have lesser revenue. And so some of that interaction does happen in staff and gets passed down to them. Really, if you are staff in one of these situations, it's important to recognize how that, interplay happens, why it might be happening and to really honestly be able to evaluate if that's something that you are in fact, accurately being accused of, if you're not meeting productivity, because you're not following protocols, or you're not doing that kind of stuff. That's a you problem. You got to accept that you got to make changes and, and work on that. But if you are not getting correct communication, or if it's that warning of like, okay, this needs to happen in two hours, and there's never been a communication about it that you don't have time to prepare or complete those kind of tasks, then that's some of those systemic things that can create to that toxic work environment. And you need to be able to recognize the difference between the two and to be able to adjust accordingly. There's
1: a caveat that I want to add to that, which is it's typically not just you or not just the environment. There's a lot that, that goes together and I think being able to sort through it can be pretty tough because oftentimes if you're not meeting productivity, It could be that you're just not doing the job and it it could be it's not the right fit for you. This is a job that just doesn't line up with your work style. You're not somebody that likes to hustle and get productivity and that kind of stuff. It could be that the the, the expectations are unreasonable and there are places that will make their budgets to the best person's best day, which is not sustainable by anybody. And so if that's the case, then what happens there is nobody meets expectations every day, but well, somebody did it once, you know? And so then that that becomes very toxic, but it's hard to know if the expectations are reasonable if some people are meeting it or pe- or there's not transparency about how many people are meeting it or not meeting it. And so you can say, well, I'm not meeting expectations and everyone is telling me these expectations are realistic, or at least management is telling me the expectations are realistic, but everybody is and their shame about saying, well, I'm not meeting expectations. And so there can be this disconnect between what's actually possible and what is just unreasonable expectations. So- so it could be you, it could be the system, it could be that it's not explained well, it could be that there's not enough training. I mean there's so many different reasons why people aren't meeting the expectations in an environment that first off, you know, there's a lot of things to sort through to try to fix it, but there's also for for employees that are feeling disempowered and burned out, it, there can be a lot of excuses about why why they're not meeting it and so then there's also the things they can do don't get done either. And so people can feel very disempowered and hopeless, and so they stop trying.
0: Right. This might also be in other areas that are not just in client-facing things, but this is environments where the supervisors or the managers have a completely different set of roles that they have for you that they don't necessarily hold themselves accountable to either. This is the environments where it might be expected that you show up at eight o'clock and your boss rolls in at nine thirty with a Starbucks and is complaining about how the gym towels weren't quite ready for them that morning. <laughs> and then they're, they're leaving at four thirty to go pick up their kids. And you have several more hours that you need to work. And, and I'm talking more in like agency jobs mm-hmm. in this type of situation, but it's where you are expected to do things that the people above you are on a completely different planet that it's, yeah. there's There are people who are very narcissistic, who do end up getting promoted and have some potential great leadership skills, but then hold you accountable for things that they're not going to be held accountable themselves. And so there can become a lot of resentment between kind of that management level and staff level
1: I think that's true I don't know that I've seen management roll in and worry about the placement of gym towels or or you know when you're expected to be in earlier but I think to me what I've seen is there being a really dis- a really big disconnect between how the job is done as a clinician versus how a manager views how the job could be done and oftentimes they were a therapist themselves but the system has changed so much since they were a therapist that they're, they don't realize that the expectations are no longer reasonable. And there's a lot of different, you know, policy changes or things that can happen where managers kind of roll with it. And they're like, well, I could always do and it's like, well, yeah, but you had different, it was a different economy, there was more money, it was not so, you know, so strictly, mo- you know, monitored, and people could bill for more things, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why that can shift. But I think, the point that you're making is that when there's different expectations, it can be really hard for for anybody to do a good job. I mean, I think there's this disconnect and there, there needs to be communication that happens so that people can truly understand what everybody does.
0: And so sometimes when you're then pointing these things out or you're advocating within your local environment, it might be directly to your manager, it might be to their manager that it's another huge sign that you are in a toxic work environment where the response is, well, at least you have a job, (laughs) or at least you're getting paid for this. And there's kind of an underlying aspect of this that's like, we're paying you to look the other Mm. way. Because some of these types of things are also coming in environments where you're being asked to break the laws that you've been taught you need to follow as a therapist that I've worked in agencies before where they don't report child abuse Mm. if it's not actively happening right at this minute. If the kid's not bleeding, it's not being reported.
1: I think that that is something that it goes beyond even toxic work environments. I think there's, you know, kind of the extreme toxic work environments where there's laws that are being broken. And I think in that situation, advocacy can be an option for some, but I think... At times, sometimes those work environments, whether it's treatment centers or agencies or different things where the things that are happening are pretty shady, you know, I think you can try advocacy. Maybe it's oversight. Maybe it's a lack of understanding of the law. If it's not, if this is inherent in the culture and this is what's going on, I think sometimes you just got to get out. You want to make sure that you're protecting yourself at all times the piece that that bothers me about those environments is that they oftentimes can be predatory on people trying to get hours whether it's that they don't pay staff and they should or they're doing these these things that are really only for profit or gain instead of to help clients or to serve as a training center for for you know new clinicians i think those things really give our our field a bad name and i think being able to leave those environments and you know and clinicians are the money makers i think that's something where the power that clinicians have is they are the ones who bill they are the ones that are able to provide services and managers and owners don't have a money making mechanism without staff and so when staff leave when turnover is so high they cannot fill all the positions they don't make money and they close. So I think advocacy and speaking up can be an option for some people at some points, but there are times when it's, well, I think sometimes there's a full-on gaslighting. Well, this is reasonable. And of course, and this is how we do it. And and even though your experience is completely different, there is such an ingrained story that can be really hard to to fight against because it's so entrenched into the culture. And I think sometimes you just gotta leave.
0: For those of you who can leave, if you've got another opportunity that you can line up and you really do need to self-evaluate that if you are getting paid, mm-hmm. is it worth it? If what you're trying to do is get your hours faster to get licensed, is it worth it? Is it better to go to another environment where you might not earn your hours as quickly or you might not make quite as much money, but there is a certain price on your happiness yeah. as well. And I know for me, when I moved out of agency work and into private practice, that my, my initial income dropped quite a bit, but the happiness that I was experiencing was quite mm-hmm. a bit more. And I, I've really embraced that and really appreciated the types of work that I can do that does contribute to that happiness a lot better. I think that another sign of this too, is that when you are bringing these things up, you're advocating to your superiors and you're being met with, well, you just need better self-care. And they they are blind to, (laughs) well, we're not paying you and we're requiring you to be here 40, 60, 80 hours a week that you can go in all of your not existent other time and go with all of the non-existent money that we're not paying you and go lavishly spend that on yourselves to take care of yourself to better come and serve me. There is kind of a confusing sort of situation there that don't just take that at face value. That's kind of trying to pass that buck onto you.
1: I agree. I think in truth, if that advice is coming to you, if it's, you need better self-care, I think you take that to the letter of the law and say, okay, I will work my 40 hours and I will leave. I will say no to tasks that don't line up with my, my job description. And I think being able to hold some of those boundaries, although they're super hard, can be something that, Assuming that it's not an illegal environment, assuming it's not an environment that's flouting employment laws and ethics of the profession, assuming it's just an environment that's pretty overwrought, if you call it at 40 hours a week, if you set limits on the task, if you really speak actively around it, if they tell you, no, you have to stay extra hours, no, you have to do this, you have to do that... You start to, to have employment issues, employment laws that you can reach to. Now, that's not the best way to handle things sometimes, but sometimes that's the only way you can handle it. And I think being able to document, email, that kind of stuff, I think that can be a way that you start protecting yourself. But in truth, if you can work within the system, and that sounds weird, but if you can work within the system and try to hit the letter of the law and stop doing the going above and beyond and stop doing some of the other pieces, you can start feel better. The, the best thing that, I've, that I did for myself and I've trained a lot of the people who've worked for me in the past or people who are consulting with me now is figure out when you're gonna end your workday and do it unless there's a client crisis because staying forever and ever just serves to burn you out more and you're not going to get as much done so being able to actually set that limit is actually pretty helpful and if you have to stay in the environment not the illegal environments i even if you're getting paid even if you're getting your hours if you're in an illegal environment i think you're at risk and maybe you need to find another job before you leave to be able to, to financially afford it but i think the sooner you can get out of an illegal environment the better but if it's a toxic environment that is getting you hours, that's paying you, that is doing legal and ethical work, they're just not taking care of you. I think the coping strategies is about how you take care of yourself in that work environment. And some of it is making sure you have enough time outside of that workday to rejuvenate and regenerate yourself. And some of that's making sure that you set
0: the end of your workday. People who have those opportunities, take them. Some of you might not. Some of you, this might be the only option in town. Or you might be in a situation where you're only a couple hundred hours away from licensure or other places that you want to work Are for whatever reason, it might be personal, it might be professional, that you just are stuck in these work environments. Now you're left with strategies where advocacy doesn't work, if being able to leave doesn't work and you're trapped in these environments, this is really where you kind of need your work buddy you mm-hmm. need the it's, it's almost like going into the high school cafeteria and finding your table of other people who are like-minded like you recognizing the same things that you can at least commiserate together but sometimes in agencies and depending on how big they are they can become really clicky but it's almost as a survival mechanism as opposed to something that's a barrier to entry but it feels like a barrier to entry when you're first coming in because these are the lifers. These are the people who have assigned themselves to being trapped in these jobs. They don't either want to advocate or they don't want to leave. And if they're not like-minded, they can become cold or they can become very blaming to some of the people who aren't like-minded to them.
1: I think that Finding your, your work best friend is important. And I think paying attention to the clicks, especially when you come in, can be very important. I One of my first jobs as a therapist, I started and everyone was very cold to me. And I realized it was because turnover was so high. And once I'd been there for a certain period of time, they started accepting me more because I, I lasted after a certain point. So I think those that can be a, a, a sign. But if that's an environment you need to stay in, I absolutely agree, Kurt. You need to find your work best friend. But I think when you said you can commiserate, I think that's true, but you don't want to be work best friends with the Eeyore. I think oftentimes if everything's focused on how bad things are, it makes it even harder to do your job. And I know I've gotten into those environments where it was like, I can't believe they're making us do that and I can't believe they're making us, or Our productivity went up or this happened or that happened. And so I think being able to find somebody who is actively trying to make the work environment work for them while still having the opportunity to, to do the the venting when needed, I think it's important. If it's a whole bunch of group of people that just this work environment sucks, you spend a lot of time complaining and it makes productivity go down because you're, you can't bill for that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now I'm sitting here wondering which of the Winnie the Pooh characters that I would be friends with and I'm <laughs> stuck between rabbit and owl.
1: <laughs> I think unfortunately, given my, my disposition, I think you've befriended Tigger. but I think other ways that you can survive a mildly toxic work environment is trying to make sure that you're asking for what you need. I think oftentimes if leaders can provide better guidance and better support, and if you can even help to ask for that, and leaders, if you're listening, I think I would highly recommend learning the situational leadership model because I think when we give specific directions to folks who are first learning, that's way better than giving them them autonomy, even if you would like autonomy. (laughs) You know, when we slowly give them more autonomy and empower them, that can feel much better than constantly being micromanaged. And so I think being able to find and ask for what you need from both sides is really important. The leader's, explain what you need, and then give people the opportunity to do it. If you're on the other end of bad management, and I think we've talked about this in our previous getting good supervision. We have a couple of supervision episodes that talk about this a little bit. But if you're able to ask for more guidance and not be afraid to ask stupid questions, especially at the beginning, you'll be much more successful. And so it's it's being able to see, where can I navigate? Where can I use my voice? And sometimes you can't, and that's you know, where you have to kind of cope differently. But if you have voice to ask for specific guidance or to advocate for yourself, I recommend doing that. And if you feel like your voice isn't being heard for some reason, I think it's figuring out how can you get support to speak up? Because I think the best managers, even the ones that aren't performing very well, the people who are really desiring to be good managers will want to hear what you have to say. Now, maybe you are in an organization that has none of those people and you have to kind of cope but i think if you can get to a place where your voice is heard potentially you can help implement some change in the system
0: for people who are staff now or are eventually looking up at moving into those management type positions it's that our trainings don't necessarily teach us how to be managers they don't necessarily teach us how to be administrators And that's something that you need to recognize as you move forward, that the other end of this is as you continue to be promoted and you continue to move up is that Katie brings up situational leadership. It's not just managing in how you wanted to have been managed, but it's recognizing that this is an area of your skills and your leadership that you probably need to develop more. And unless you have other management experience in a prior career, This is something that go and read more, go to leadership trainings in order to understand how to better work with staff, how to be specific earlier on, how to continue to foster autonomy for more seasoned staff and clinicians, but to recognize within yourself where the limits of your skills are, and then to move those limits further away.
1: In truth, this can happen in a lot of different ways for folks who are stepping into leadership within organizations. The hope is that there's mentorship within that organization, somebody to help guide you. I do have consulting clients who don't have that within their organizations, and so I'm consulting with them for that. I think when you're on your own reading books can be super helpful, talking to other people who are in the same situation, whether it's the first time you're really managing yourself as a private practitioner or if you're taking on employees. I think being able to get some education or consultation, and obviously, shameless plug, that's something I do, but I think there's that piece of when you're able to get some guidance, it can feel hugely empowering because you start having an impact. And so figuring out where you are in your development of leadership whether it's you are becoming a stronger clinician and you're leading by example or you're leading you're managing your own schedule, whether it's at an organization or at a private practice. If it's when you actually start stepping into supervision and, and leadership and and learning those skills, I think those pieces can be hugely overwhelming if you don't have any sense of how to do it. And and too often people get promoted, or they move up, and they just don't have those skill sets. And so being able to identify, hey, I need that can be a way to really combat the toxic work environments that can be set up for us or that we can set up for ourselves.
0: And I know that a lot of our ethics codes really dictate that in our client facing treatments that when we run into these growth edges or things that we don't know that we need to seek out consultation, when it comes to business management type stuff, or in the private practice world, if you're Looking at moving into that group practice arena and bringing on supervisees or bringing on staff members. This is where we really do encourage that these are ethical duties that you have as well as you move into those higher levels. And whether you seek things out through Katie and my consultations, the courses that we teach, the continuing education that we do, you find that someplace else recognize that that's a limit that you have and that you do need to do that. And if you're going to be in those positions to do it correctly.
1: Yes. I think that's all there is to say about that. I mean, granted, I think there's a lot more to talk about with this, with this topic. There's so many different ways that uh, therapists end up in toxic work environments. We basically touched the surface. So expect some more episodes on this because there's so many more things to talk about, but the message I'll, I'll leave you with is, please find ways to improve your work environments, or to cope with them in the best way that you can, because this work is super important. And if you can't do it, we lose access to mental health services. And that would just make me super sad. <laughs> so so find ways to improve work environments in whatever way you can. And if we can support you, please let us know.
0: And we'll include some links in the show notes to things uh, leading you to more information on situational leadership. And I know that we mentioned a previous episode, we'll send a out- link to that as well in our show notes. You can find that on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. While you're there, please check out the very exciting Therapy Reimagined Conference that we're having in October of 2018 here in the Los Angeles area with our platinum sponsor, Simple Practice. Very excited to have them joining us, and we have two full days, 14 CEUs, where we're talking about crafting better clinicians and really focusing on how we can create advocacy within our world and make ourselves better in response to our clients and providing a better psychotherapy profession. So until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Bernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.